they created the world for us. They brought us through wars, they travelled us over mountains, they, they tilled our land, they made us money, they entertained us. And they've done it all with the predator on their back. Welcome to Nature Magic. Today I'm talking to Joe Slattery. Joe is an experienced addiction counsellor and coordinator of the North Star Family Support Project, a community-based project in Limerick. Joe is a specialist in dealing with issues of substance abuse. Joe is the Irish Network Coordinator and Advanced Certified in the Agala model of equine assisted counselling, and he is CEO of JS Equine Assisted Therapies. Joe is a public speaker and educator in the area of drug abuse and disadvantage and the important role horses can play in supporting people to heal from emotional and physical distress. His TEDx talk is well worth a watch. Joe shares his own experience of growing up in a socially deprived area of Ireland and how horses helped him cope in that environment. We'd like to thank Martin Bonzel for sponsoring the Nature Magic podcast this week. Listen in to his interview coming up in the next episode where he bends our minds with questions such as, am I a badger? And check out his applauded new book, Thinking While Walking, where he reflects on philosophy and nature as he walks the Pacific Crest Trail. As one reviewer says, a fascinating excursion with Professor Bonzel. You come for the nature, but you stay for the thought riddles. Available on Amazon. Find the link in the show notes. Back to the subject of the day with Joe Slattery on healing with horses. Hi, Joe. Thank you so much for coming on to the show. Um, it's lovely to see you again. Where are you talking to us from today? Well, at the moment, I'm in Limerick City. Uh, I run a charity in here called the North Star Family Support Project. So I'm in my office because at home, there's too many uh, lazy people running around the place, you know? <laughs> yes. So I was at one of Joe's workshops. So Joe runs JS Equine Assisted Therapies. And I did one of the trial days with Joe, and it was fantastic. Um, so inspiring, very intriguing, really opened my eyes. I had no idea what I was going to experience. I think we should probably start with how you became um, friends with equines and your yeah, so sort of we, upbringing. We have to go right back to my childhood for that one, you know. Uh, I suppose a, a bit of the, the background was uh, my, my mother's family like, grew up in uh, one of the working class areas of Limerick City. And at the time in the working class areas of Limerick, horses had a big part to play as far as people making their income, you know. So if you go back to my mother's generation or her, her parents' generation, a lot of people made money through the horses because they were coal merchants or they were ragged bone men or they were fruit veg sellers or they were people that removed uh, scrap or houses. But they didn't have pickups back then. They had horse and carts and four-wheelers and carts and stuff. Mm-hmm. So they used the horses uh, as, a, as an income. Uh, and that carried on, and that you know that that generation of loving horses in uh, uh, city centres in urban areas hasn't changed, you know. So I suppose it was in our DNA. So when, when my father met my mother, I think my father got into the horses, and then obviously when we came along, there was horses already in our lives. So like my my I had pictures at home of 
being probably two years of age, being sitting on a, a little Shetland pony's back with my father holding me on it, you know. Uh, and my first real pet thing was a donkey. That was, you know, my responsibility to, to take care of. So it just blossomed from there. And it went from, you know, a donkey as we got older. Because you know, we carried on the tradition after we got the donkey. Uh, my father got me a little cart and harness. So we were on the donkey and cart and we used to sell uh, blocks and brickets door to door for in the community, you know. Uh, and as we got a bit older, then it went from you know and stronger. We went to coal blocks and brickets, which means we walked into the the heavier cobs, the horses, the four wheeler, and we'd grown door to door selling coal blocks and brickets. And we'd done that pretty much throughout my entire teenage years. Uh, so the horses were always involved. So I suppose we carried on that working class tradition. That's how we made money, you know. My father was uh, disabled from a car crash, so uh, you know general work was out the window for him. So we had to find another way of uh, bringing income into the house. But also because I grew up in South Hill, which is really a disadvantaged area, and uh, there was a lot of criminality, a lot of drug use. Uh, you know, and I got kicked out of school, I struggled in my younger years. You know, so. I, it was, uh, I think, when I reflect on it now, it was as much to keep us busy to keep me out of trouble as it was to bring in income for the house, you know, so it was a two for one. But it also did my father would come with us on the wheelchair, you know, so I kept him busy and kept him occupied. And so th that's where the, the love of horses came from. And then on the down days when we weren't uh, out selling or anything like that, I just spent a lot of time with the horses. Uh, just being in their presence, you know, not necessarily riding them around, not necessarily do anything with them. Now, we did that as well. We jockeyed around the homes in the States and all that kind of stuff. But my best memories is just sitting with them, sitting with them in the field or sitting with them in the stable by myself, just with them uh, and just feeling that comfort and, and feeling uh, at ease and feeling that I could be myself, you know, feeling connected because the rest of the time I was disconnected. I was pretending I was someone I was not. Uh, you know, that kind of provider of living in a, a rough housing estate, you couldn't be who you wanted to be because I'm actually quite sensitive person, but, you know, that, that you couldn't show that up to you. I mean, you would have got beat up for it, you know. So the, the horses allowed me actually just to, to have a, uh, like a relationship that didn't have any agenda or I didn't have to pretend or someone I wouldn't, you know. Yeah, but so no, no expectations from the horses and you were so lucky to be able to have that experience in your childhood. And I know there's children in inner cities with horses now, and it's a bit controversial because there's animal welfare issues, but it just shows how important it is to support these kids and try and maintain their connection with animals and horses. And you're, you're also a great advocate for that. Yeah, I, I am, and I do advocate for it because I think there's a real bias out there that everyone that owns a horse in the city is somehow abusing their horses or they're involved in antisocial behaviour and they're all criminals. And it's simply not true, you know. Of course, there's people there that are uneducated around horses and probably unaware that their their treatment of the horses is not is not best fitted for the horse, you know. There's other people then who are just cruel and they shouldn't be ever given any animal, never mind a horse. Absolutely, but that's just as much in rural Ireland as it is in urban Ireland, you know. Uh, and I do, I think it should be facilitated for people to enjoy these beautiful, sensitive animals. Uh, because what, I've, what they've done at the moment, and I think it's brilliant, and I'd love to shake the hand of the man or woman who signed off on it, is they opened an equestrian facility in Castlebury Prison. 
So and they're using you know the ball the stable set up. It's it's just it's just amazing, you know. And they're using it as a way of healing the, the prisoners, I suppose, and healing the horses. I think they're taking in well for horses that need treatment. But my kind of issue with that is, I mean, if you do those facilities in the communities, they might never get to prison in the first place. You know, so do it as a preventative, you know, because it really works. But we just we need to change the attitude of the people at at the top, really in the county councils, and that won't give the land because. In my, even in my job, I have a lot of privilege as the manager of the North South Family Sport Project, so I'm involved in a lot of council meetings and involved with councillors and, and different kind of people. And to be honest, some of the attitudes is like, why should we give them something for nothing? Why should we give them land? You know, dim land. And it, it just sickens me. Because like, I, I, I said, well, who are you talking about? Who's them? Well, you know who I'm talking about. You know, so, and, but that's, that's the wrong attitude. It's not productive. It's not thinking forward. It's not being creative. And it's not having an equal value with everyone in society. So if you have someone into sports or athletics, I mean, I'll defund the source that, but if you someone with a passion towards equine that lives in an orbital disadvantaged area, uh, in, no, we don't, we don't care for that. Yeah, and so, so much so much healing could come of that and, and actually saving money, obviously. <laughs> costs a lot of money to look after people in prison. Let's not get them there. And horses are so healing. I was there for the day. Can you tell us, So it's very hard to explain in a nutshell what goes on because it does take a period of time for it yeah. to happen. And I would like to say a couple of my experiences when I was with you, but if you could just explain to the listeners what your version of the equine therapy is. Yeah, so the equine therapy is like a broad term that covers everything that people do with horses. And it is kind of confusing for the consumer because at the moment in Ireland, I mean, in Ireland, psychotherapy and counselling mainstream is not regulated really, you know. I mean, you could go and do a foundation course of counselling set up your your service and off you go and it's not illegal you know so we're, we're very far behind even with normal counseling so when we're getting to the, the equine therapy it's, it's way off the charts as far as being regulated so but what i provide is counseling okay and that's that's the key word so i some people would say psychotherapy because they're psychotherapists i'm not a psychotherapist i'm a counselor so it's a different training but that's what we're doing so what you're doing with the horses is learning about yourself through interaction with horses, okay? So it's not horse management, it's not horse care. We won't be teaching you anything about the horses whatsoever. It will be learning about yourself through interaction with horses in ground-based activities. Now, the difference with this model as far as some of the other models out there is there's no horse riding involved. There's no saddles, there's no bridles, there's no ropes. The horses are free to have choices and interact with you whatever way they want to without the, the constraints of a rope. Now also if you were in, if you were ever riding a horse, uh, there's a lot of thoughts that go through your mind like do I turn left, turn, do I turn right, how do I stop them, am I going to fall off, I got to balance. And if you're doing all that then you're in the, you know, I suppose the practical side of your brain so you're not connected to your emotions. And what we want is people to connect their emotions through the interaction with horses. So that's why it's all ground-based and that's why there's no horse education or welfare involved, you know. Uh, and I suppose the key part of it is if you take talking therapy and you're in the office, the focus is internal. How are you feeling? How are you coping? Uh, and, you know, that works for a lot of people. For others, it doesn't because it's very intimidating or you might have people that really had very negative experiences with past relationships and they just don't trust humans. Never mind, you know, so not particularly to do with the counsellor. They're just very hard to trust anyone, so they keep their guard up. But when we're working with the horses, the focus is external. So it's not about you, it's about the horses. It's kind of, what are you seeing? 
you know, how do you think they're doing? Is there anyone in particular that gets your attention? So we're focusing on the horses. But what the horses do then, because they are similar to humans in a lot of ways, and even down to their temperaments, you know, you'll have the submissive one, you'll have the, the pushy one, you'll certainly have the dominant one. Or, and so what's happening then when the people are observing them or interacting with them, it's, a, oh, that one's like my boss, or that one's a bit snobby, you know. So people see strange stuff when, when they're with them, but what they see is what we work on because it's their interpretation. And how we do that is uh, through uninterpreted language. So a very simple example would be if I saw a horse kick another horse, you know, it would be very easy to say, oh, what was wrong with the black horse? He kicked the brown horse, okay? But if I say that, then I've already set it in the person's mind of what they saw. Whereas if you say, yeah, I noticed there was a bit of contact between the black horse and the white horse, what was wrong there? Because the person could have seen a high five, a handshake, who knows what they saw, that's what you want it to be, is their vision of what they're seeing. Because then, then we're getting into their story because they're starting to see similarities between people and places in their lives with how the horses are behaving. And that's how you get into what's you know in their psyche and what they're thinking without actually having to ask them directly. The horses will role play it out, you know. So what they're doing is the horses are giving you real life moving role plays of situations that are familiar to you in your outside the arena and I suppose my job then as the mental health professional obviously there's two of us there so you have your mental health professional and you have your equine specialist my job is there for the person's emotional safety and the equine specialist is there for the physical safety of the client but also the emotional and physical safety of the horses from an animal animal welfare aspect you know the, the horses aren't a commodity in in this there are team members actually they're the key players so we treat them as partners uh, so we're always looking out for their welfare but what I'm doing then in my job is getting the person to maybe join the dots of the experiences they're having in the arena, some of the emotions they're feeling, some of the observations they're making with the horses, the other parts of their life. So where does this fit in, in outside the arena? You know, has, have you felt this way before? So, you know, so that's how you get into the nuts and bolts of what's going on for the person through, through the horses, you know. Mm. Yeah, you did. You explained it quite well with one fella who went in and was saying about one of the horses, oh, she's, she's a this and she's a that because she wouldn't let him near her. And may, I don't know what she was doing, running away. Yeah. She, uh, she's yeah. a snob and she's this. And then eventually talking it out and saying, is this exactly what's happening? Or I, I'm not sure if she said maybe she was afraid or talking it yeah. out like that. Yeah, just like that. So there's two, there's two forms of the therapy. So that was a group dynamic. So there was a group of uh, people in there. Uh, and when you're doing groups, it would be kind of equine-assisted learning. So you're doing more focused, topic-based. So I, they would be coming in and I would be saying, OK, we're working on empathy or we're going to work on communication skills or boundaries, whatever. There's a topic that you work on. But when you're doing the equine-assisted counselling, there is no agenda and it's totally in the moment because it's what happens for the person. So you, you wouldn't do psychotherapy with a group of people or counsel with a group of people and expose one person from that group. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you, you keep it more surface level. It's more education based. But when you're working in with an individual or a family, uh, then you would be going into deeper stuff, you know. So so with that kid, it was uh, it was a group based environment. And I think they were working on boundaries that day. And yeah, the, the horse kept moving away from him. So it was this, a discussion based in of well, what might be going on for the horse. Is there anything else other being stuck up or not liking you? Is there anything else that could be going on with the horse? So we're not talking about the person. 
and through that group discussion, it was like, oh, maybe the horse is afraid, or maybe the horse is shy, or maybe the horse just needs more time to build relationships compared to the other horses. So they started seeing it in different directions. And of course, then I threw in and said, look, I wonder, has been other times in your life where you thought someone was a snuff up or was a snob when really they were maybe shy or maybe they needed a different kind of approach? Or, you know, and because it's done through the horses, no one gets defensive because you're not attacking them or you're not judging them or making accusations towards the person. You're, you're reflecting it all through the horses, which makes it very, uh, very gentle approach. And when you, when you speak to someone in, in a way that they don't feel threatened, that's when they listen. Because if you're talking to someone and they, feel, and they get their back up because they feel you're judging them, no, no one listens when their back is up because all they want to do is push back, you know. So it's a very gentle approach to, to allow people to maybe look at their voice to look at their attitude, to look at their their views of the world in a very, very different way. And in the courses, because how they're interacting with each other, gives a, a kind of a real life movement to say, oh yeah, okay, now I get it. You know, a, a very simple example would be, we had a mother and daughter come in. Daughter was 18, didn't want to go to college, wanted to take a, a year or two off just to figure herself out. The mother was adamant, no, she needs to go to college because she just dropped out, she won't do anything. So they come on and, and we were having, they were out with the horses and one of the bigger horses bit, you know, this is not clean language, but I'm just so going to explain it as it was. She bit one of the other smaller horses in the butt and pushed it forward about 10 feet. And the mother saw this and said, that's, that's me, isn't it? I'm pushing my daughter away, aren't I? You know, now, because she saw it, I, it, it, it hit home for her without feeling defensive, having to judge it or, or justify her means, you know. And that was a very pivotal moment for her. She backed off then and started talking to her daughter in a different kind of way because she felt if she kept pushing her bottle, her daughter was going to leave and her, her, her relationship wasn't going to get better, you know. Yeah, that's but, giving me shivers, absolutely, because I think there is something much deeper from my experience with you for the day. Um, on a deeper level. I mean, that's the practical way about it. It's all regulated in what you do, very carefully supporting, you know, the emotional and physical needs of the person and the animal. But for instance, there was, at the beginning, you went around our group. Now, it wasn't a training session. It was an introductory session as to what you do. And you said, you know, have anybody have any issues that are cropping up now with them? And one guy said, well, you know, the one thing um, really is I feel nobody chooses me. And we did the whole day. I mean, it was hours long. We stopped for tea. We did this and that. And at the very end, where you were lining everyone up for a photo, and the horses, we were in an indoor riding school, and there was a bunch of horses, four or five horses, and they were just hanging out with themselves. And this, I think he was a black horse, just came along the line of people and stood directly in front of that man and stopped. So do you agree that there's a much deeper level to what's going on here as well with the healing and the horses? Absolutely. I think we have no understanding of the depth of emotional intelligence that the horses have. Uh, And it's only now, like it's been researched in the last few years, and there's really good, strong evidence on it there now at the moment on even just why being around horses is good for people. So obviously, uh, like to they, they do, you know, they, I've seen those horses when they're in sessions behave in manners that horses don't behave in. So if there's no one in there with them, they're just, they're, they're grazing grass, they're doing what they're doing and they're living their best life. When people are in there with them, they behave in a manner that is uh, sh- sometimes shockingly surprising that, oh my God, I can't believe they just done that. And it, you know, a lot of times it has relevance to what the person is talking about. Uh, you know, we, we had a, 
we had a session where a mom was in and she she was really struggling with one of her kids and parenting the kid, the kid had all these kind of issues going on and you know wouldn't go to school and was aggressive and making conditions and the mom was standing there and she was just exhausted and she was just sobbing and her partner the husband was there and actually the kid it was a family session and the kid stormed off now where i where i when i usually do the sessions is up a mountain in killaloo okay so i don't use that training center i only use that in a new training for the weather uh, and the kids found off and the mom said, oh, will I go after him? I said, no, he's fine. He said, there's nowhere he can go. He's up the boring road, miles up the mountain. He's not going to go far, you know. So she was standing there and she was just crying and she was sobbing and she was exhausted. And one of the horses come up and laid on the ground next to her and fully stretched out now, which, you know, as a prey animal, they don't do that. And start, started breathing it out really heavy, going, oh, oh, you know. And just, and he was just looking and said, my God. So the horse started mimicking what the, the, the lady was feeling, you know? It's like she picked up on it and just started doing what the lady was doing. And it's like, oh my God, we're all just looking at this behavior. And when the lady left then, the horse just got up and started eating grass with the rest of the horses. So it, it's just, they just, they do amazing stuff. It, it, it's, it's really, I, myself and my colleague need to done the training. We spend so much time looking at each other saying, this is so interesting, this is so interesting because of how the horses behave in those moments, you know? Uh, and we're, we're nowhere near the depth of understanding of how in tune they are and how amazing they are because we spent so long using them for our own entertainment. And obviously, I mean, they've been around for 50 odd million years. They created the world for us. They brought us through wars, they traveled us over mountains, they, they tilled our land, they made us money, they entertain us. And they've done it all with the predator on their back. You know. You know, that's that's how amazing they are, like, you know, and they still give. They're just so, so tuned. And all we have to do is listen to them. All we have to do is feel them, you know. There is a, the Heart Math Institute has done research lately. And what they figured out is, in, with humans, okay, we have a tele, 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 I can't think of the word. We have a force field around our heart. Yeah, okay? Electromagnetic. Electromagnetic. Yes, that's it. The same we have on our brain, right? But they found the one on the heart is actually even stronger. But then when they measured, they, they done the research with horses as well. And the horses has the same force field and it's about five times bigger than the humans. Okay. So what they've realized then, because horses live in a state of calm, so it's like we're always trying to teach mindfulness to, to humans to stay in the present. They're always in the present. Now, if something spooks them, they will, their senses will get up. But then, like, when that threat is gone, it goes back down to the sense of calm. They don't think about the what if. They don't procrastinate about it. They don't think what next. They're just back to calm. So their heart rate is regulated on that. So when humans are inside the force field of a horse's uh, magnetic field, the human heart regulates to the horse's heart because it's a stronger frequency. And that creates the sense of calm within the humans. And that lowers the blood pressure, releases the endorphins. And that's why we just feel good being with it you know mm. but you have to be open to feel that you know and i think that's what they do but you know I, I for a long time i've been explaining as horses help people lower their barriers without even realizing that they're lowering them and when your barriers are low lower down that means you're vulnerable when you're vulnerable means you can heal you have to be vulnerable to heal 
mm. you know, and horses create that. And then, because when we use them in the therapy, we stand away to the side, so we lift them up with the horses. We don't invade their space. We don't ask them to share with us unless they want to, so they have total control of how they heal and the speed they heal. But we know that the horses are healing. And we know that what's strong there with the horses and not over-talking to us, they're getting what they need, you know? Mm, absolutely. I mean, I think even for people who might have a depressed child relative or even themselves try and find a horse and stand next to the horse perhaps across a gate if you're not used to yeah, horses yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe yeah. um but just try you know if you're desperate find a horse or an equine a donkey and just go yeah. and spend some time with them amazing yeah. amazing i mean the questions we have for the podcast are you spiritually connected to nature uh, do you want to say anything else about that? Because I know you obviously are. Yeah, but I mean, I, even away from the horses, I, I, I was thinking about this, uh, and I am I'm very much uh, spiritually connected to nature. Uh, and even in, in my upbringing, because we lived in a housing estate in Limerick City, but it was actually quite unique. Uh, the first house we lived in there, we probably lived there from zero to 12 years, but actually when you went down our front door, there was a stone quarry, which was, it's a weird story, but but past that was fields. And if you went out door back door, then you were in the, the concrete jungle. So I obviously, because of the horses, went spent a lot of my time in the fields. And I would go into a field and just sit there and I would just breathe, you know. So I've always preferred that kind of environment. But you know, when I obviously I know you had sent me that you were going to ask me this kind of question. And I thought about it a lot during the week. And what I thought about is you know, if I ever leave this earth untimely, my I've already told my wife that I want to be cremated and I want my ashes spread out. There's a place in the Classic River where we used to go, uh, Shannon River, where we used to go fishing and camping as kids. I said, I want my ashes spread there. And also where I live in Killaloo, the top of the mountain, it overlooks the entire lake. I said, well, I want some of my ashes there. So actually, on a, on a, I've always been spiritually connected to nature and that's where I want to spend my time, you know. I have a beautiful dog as well and we spend a lot of time walking through the woods myself i don't want to go with my family and like i spend a lot of time with them but i go by myself because it, it's a, it's i'm not distracted by them and then they're all giving out to each other and when are we there and what are we doing i like to go by myself with the silence and i just breathe but i breathe really deep breaths slow breaths uh so i i i actually i have a real affinity for nature i love being around it and i love being by myself in it you know because I, I i just feel on a deeper level when i'm, I'm around nature you know I think dogs are a great excuse to get out into nature as well. So yeah. if you don't have a dog, there's always a dog you can borrow to take for a walk. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> if you I feel go to a shelter, go to a shelter and ask them, can you volunteer take their dogs? They're quite happy to give you a dog to go walking with you. Yeah, absolutely. And you can foster dogs as well. So that doesn't mean a full-time commitment. Mm. Um, yeah, we were to, well, there's a question, what's your favorite plant or animal? But I kind of feel it's the horse. Yeah. But was there anything else you'd like to add there? Yeah, so obviously it is the horse and, and the dog is a strong second after that, you know. But w when we were growing up, even though it was a house instead, we had, now all at different times, we had obviously dogs, cats, we had rabbits, we had budgies. Uh, any stray I could find, I would take it. I had actually a kid goat for a while. Uh, you know, so I, I'm a strong animal lover. I, I think the one that I kind of, it's weird, the one I fear the most is cows. 
you know. I don't, I don't, I, I can't, I don't want to say I don't like it, but it, it's kind of from watching the, the movie The Field, and at the end of it, where the cows throw the guy off the cliff, I said, they're so stupid, they're falling off cliffs, and it just stuck with me, so now I'm afraid of cows, you know. <laughs> uh, but other than that, I, I'm an, a massive animal lover, you know. I, I would love to have acres and acres and then have a big, massive sanctuary there for all of them to be, you know. Yeah. Uh, so. Your house is with the horse and you can see that, I mean, it emanates from you when you're working with the horses, even though Joe is really standing, it's extraordinary, standing in the corner of the arena. Well, that's where we were working and the horses were doing all the work. Mm. But um, no, the love definitely emanates from you. And going back to that session, at the time I was thinking uh, there was nothing really particular for me. I was just looking at the other people and learning about what you do. And then, of course, when I went home, I started thinking about this little mare. <laughs> so I think sometimes it takes time to sort of percolate down. And yeah. she came into the arena. There was a couple of other horses that were minding their own business. They weren't doing anything to her at all. But she started sort of squealing and kicking a bit. But she was very defensive. And, and then they started looking at her going, oh, you, OK, F off then, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. So there was a bit of conflict there. But she completely started it by being defensive. And then at the end of the session, she went into the corner of the arena and lay down by herself. So happy, so happy with herself. Like, I'm, I'm fine by myself. I'm fine by myself. And then one lady sort of crept over to her and, and sat down and eventually was able to talk to her. And I thought, well, OK, that was a lesson for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it, it is, it is very, it's very much a processing experience and some people, it could be days later or they might find themselves in a situation and say, now I know who that horse is. You know, it, it, it can carry on for a very long time, you know. Yeah, I mean, I've spoken on the podcast before about how I'm working with Toffee, my horse. So about yeah. 10 months ago, I, I started riding Toffee again. He was trained and ridden a few times, but my daughter said, oh, yes, I'm going to ride Toffee in my TY year. So I thought, oh, gosh, I better go and ride Toffee, see what he's like now, you know, <laughs> totally yeah, green, yeah. feral. He'd been out the field since then. So he was fine for a couple of days. And on the third day, he exploded. And I had no idea what was going on here. Absolutely none. And I started working through the internet with Warwick Schiller, who's a beautiful horse trainer. But it's all about me. I mean, every single day I work with Toffee, he's teaching me a lesson. It's, mm. it's day after day. And we're, we've only just started our first ride. So I literally did 10 months of groundwork, which as a professional horse person years ago, I used to ride three-day Aventus, would be completely bonkers. Yes. You know? <laughs> and I've just done three first rides now and they're going really well. But um, yeah, he's teaching me to listen, to look at his behavior. He, he's taught me so many profound things about myself how his anxiety at the beginning was completely blocked down. He was totally disassociated and just doing it because, you know, I put saddle bridle on, right, we're doing it. But when he was actually given, you know, uh, a, a little small chink to express what he actually felt, um, he exploded. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so it was hidden anxiety that you don't even think is even there and trying to, release things and I, I mean it's profound I really should write it down but I'm um, having such a wonderful time with Toffee. Yeah I think there's a you know there is a change on uh, human people's perspective towards horses uh, you know because I mean without a doubt the nature of horses in Ireland and the, and the training really the breaking of horses has been the, the, the way to go for many many years 
but people are now starting to learn that you know actually you don't have to break the sources first to, to, to work with you you know there's far more the new man as well as way to do it you know and and the join up and, and the, the you know i suppose the likes of monty roberts and all those over the years and, and people getting involved in that and seeing the horses is more of a you know not a machine yeah not machine. something that you just yeah there's a partnership you know and you will get further if you listen to yours now, but by no means I, I get asked this all the time like are you a horse person absolutely not i'm not experienced in horses I, I i know my horses i know their basic care and I'm learning all the time from the likes of Neve, who has done years and years of, of horses and is always looking at new ways of, of working and building a relationship with horses. But I, I wouldn't consider myself an expert in, in horses by any means because I was never really into the eventing and all that kind of thing. I just hung out with them, uh, a working class boy with working class horses, you know. Uh, I never went and done horse education or any of that kind of stuff, just read books and, and things like that, you know. But I do think the uh, the attitude towards horses is changing, and people are now more interested in building a partnership and a relationship than dominating. You know, so mm, I, I, I do agree. There's lots of um, well, I've seen it from every kind of angle, um, from horse dealers to mm. you know professional event riders. And well, I have to say, a horse saved my life. So when I was 20 and I wasn't in a good place, a horse came into my life and saved it in a physical manner and a and a spiritual manner. <laughs> so yes, um, I was going to say something else there now, and I forgot. Oh yeah, so to, well, training Toffee. So the ne the next thing with Toffee now is he's he's incredibly greedy. Um, <laughs> I don't know if that's a reflection on me or not, but <laughs> um, so he wanted, to, we were doing the first rides and he wants to eat grass. So I Googled Warwick Schiller, you know, horses eating grass, you know, is this, should I just go with him? This is what he wants to do. So there's a video and Warwick is saying, yeah, if your horse wants to eat grass, let it eat grass. And then it feels that it's not never going to see a blade of grass again, you know? So yesterday I, my third ride on the retrained toffee, um, he ate grass for a full hour. He never lifted his head. And looking back on how I used to train the horses for eventing, it would be a travesty if I did that. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's funny. It really is. So back to the questions. Um, do you have a book you want to recommend? Uh, I was thinking about that. And to be honest, I don't. I, I don't, you know, I think... I didn't start reading until my adult years, really, uh, because I got kicked out of school and I was not really interested in education or anything like that. So, I, I, you know, I wouldn't have been the one to pick up a book, you know. Uh, but, I, you know, if I go to plug Igala, Igala has created a book and it's a book of short stories that was by Lynn Thomas. So, so Igala, Igala is the training method. And it yeah, so Igala yeah. is yeah, the Equine Assisted Growth and Learning Association. So they created a book, uh, and it's all it's kind of it's really lovely. It's like like short stories of experiences with the horses during sessions. You know, lovely. it's a really easy read, and actually is a lovely read. You know, so that might be one to, to have a look at. Mm, I'll uh, put it in the show read. notes. That sounds like a great suggestion. Yeah. And anything you can suggest for people to help support the horse, support nature, help us with all these crises that are going yeah. on? For, for me, I've been thinking about this a lot. So as I said, I live, I live in a part of Clare that's really a kind of scenic town, you know. I, I'm very privileged to live there. I know I'm very lucky to live there. Uh, it's surrounded by the lake, it's surrounded by woods, and there's a couple of, and we get a lot of tourists into the village, like they all pull in their boats, so the marine is there, you know. It's, it's Beautiful. So it's Killaloo, Killaloo, Killaloo County, Clare. 
Yeah, so we get a lot of people coming in. And there's a place on the road called Two Mile Gate, and it's kind of picnic area and benches and people swim there and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but what breaks my heart is the amount of rubbish that's just left there. Uh, you know, I mean, the simplest thing is just pick up after yourself. And if the bin is full, so what? You take it home. I mean, you took it there, just take it home, you know. Everything down to dirty nappies has been left there. And it just, I mean, it's like, where's your connection with nature? You've came here because of how beautiful it is, but yet you're you're, you're abusing it, you know, and you're just, you're, you're not treating it as it deserves, you know. And that, those simple things just break my heart. But, I mean, there's, there's so much that we can do uh, for nature in the sense of people because as i said earlier on until you asked me the question when what do i get from nature or you know is there a spiritual i've never thought of it because it's always been there so maybe i just took it for uh granted you know and i think there's a sense that we need to stop taking nature for granted uh, and appreciating that we have it because it gets smaller and smaller as the years go by because the more of it's getting chopped down for a concrete jungle, you know. At, at the moment, they're building a bypass through Killaloo, and there a couple of months ago, they just, they tore the town in half to put in this new road that's not even being developed yet. They cut the trees down, they cut through the fields, and I actually, I felt it. I, I was disgusted by it. And as it gets not necessary, there is a bridge there. Yes, there's traffic that is caused by it, but that's part of the privilege of living here. And I don't think it's fair what we're after doing to our beautiful countryside for a stupid bypass road. You know, it really bothers us. And I didn't think it would until I saw the devastation. It really hurt me, like, you know, when I saw all these trees being ripped apart. And it just makes me look, is it really, is it just for convenience? Is it really worth it? So we're, we're taking away the stuff that we need to breathe, you know, we're, we're looking at global warming, we're looking at what's happening, and here we are now cutting down all these trees, and we're going to replace them with cars that are going to pollute the air. That's, bonkers, bonkers. Uh, you know, so mm. that's that's the, the, the part, you know, I mean, as far as the horses, I, I think people are changing their attitudes, and I think people have come a long way, and Ireland and the history of Ireland and horses, there is a romantic relationship there that has always been there. Uh, but I think what happened is uh, the social divide in high society and where it was acceptable and then, you know, the lower classes uh, that wasn't uh, supposed to have these animals, you know. Uh, I think th there needs to be another look at that, but also to look at how we treat those animals as far as, you know, the, the relationship we have with them. So we're still far off. I do think we're a lot better and I do think we're getting there. I mean, the likes of yourself and, and other people even like myself that now advocate on how special these animals are. I think the more people are going to see them in a better light, you know. So I think we just keep doing what we're doing, you know. Yeah, I think that's all we can do. Um, but you talk about the question, you know, do you feel spiritually connected to nature? Some people want to leave that out. Um, mm. Not that many, but some people don't say, no, I'm not going to talk about that one. So Yes, you 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 took it for granted, but actually, it's a special thing. And you know, you were you knew you were connected when when you saw the question. And yeah, yeah, okay. ab absolutely. I'm, I'm I especially connected. It's probably when I'm at my if I'm not around horses. I suppose the problem with the horses at the moment for me is because I'm so busy with the work, 
uh, I'm not actually spending the quality time that I need with them because I'll say run a charity limit and do the horses on, on Fridays and Saturdays. There's maintenance, there's upkeep, there's horse welfare. It's, it's all, so I spend, I'm really busy just making sure that they're happy, you know, that I am not having the time that I need with them. Uh, and so the, the, two, the, the two times when I'm most grounded and, and, and myself is when I'm with my horses or when I'm in, in nature. Mm-hmm. You know, so they they just give me what I need to recharge my batteries, and even in some way release uh, a lot of what the stresses of the day to day working that we live in. That's what provides that for me, you know. So that's my spiritual connection to them. You know, they, they just keep me balanced. Yeah, I think the lockdown gave me the gift of the time with Toffee, which I never would have had before. And it has been a really wonderful gift. Can you tell us what your charity is and, you know, briefly what it does? Yeah, so it, uh, the North Star Family Support Project, we're based in the city and we work with families affected by substance misuse. So, you know, for pretty much the most of my career, I've worked as an addiction counsellor with adolescents. Or I work with families affected by imprisonment. So all, all my kind of expertise is around family crisis or family intervention. Uh, but now I've gone the other side, so I'm no longer working with the drug user. I'm working with the families that are affected by, so you know, partners, mothers, dads, siblings, that, that kind of side, because it's the area that is less supported. Now I have a lot of compassion for people caught up in drug and drug abuse. Uh, no one ever wants to get on that road, and there's usually a really heartbreaking story behind it. But also the ripple effect that then is there's families devastated by it, and they don't seem to get the same level of support uh, as the drug user gets. So that, that's what we do. We work with the families to help them cope better while their loved one is doing what they're doing, give them better boundary skills, putting uh, boundaries in place, arrest points, social kind of events, uh, educational drug addiction, that kind of stuff. Well, wonderful. And we'll put the uh, all the contact details for everything in the show notes. Just before the last question, and I hadn't given you this as a question, so you don't have to answer it. We can cut it out if you want. <laughs> um, what's the most woo-woo experience you've had with horses, if you know what that means? Well, for myself or as far as experience and sessions? Yeah, whatever comes up. Uh, okay, yeah, so there's one for myself that always sticks with me, uh, and it has never left me, so I, say, I don't know if I told you, but my first pet was a donkey, so, and I used to spend a lot of time with him, and there was one evening, he was in the backyard, and he was lying down, uh, and I, I looked, I could see him out the window of the kitchen, and he was just lying there, and I just, I felt the need to go out, and, and when I went out, and I actually, and it would have been my first time ever attempted it, is I laid down next to him, and then I snuggled into him and I, I kind of put my head, he, like his front legs were turned in on himself and I just kind of leaned in that gap. My head just kind of fit in there and I just laid there with him. And it was one of the most comforting uh, feelings I, I've ever had. And because I knew as a prey animal, you know, it, it was like for me as a young kid who was insecure, who didn't feel good about himself, who thought that everyone saw him as, you know, less than, here's this animal who trusts me totally, you know, and I just laid in there, and I could feel the heat up in, and I could feel his belly going up and down, and his nose came around, and was sniffing on my head, and it was, uh, it was one of the most beautiful experiences I've ever had, and it will never leave me, you know, uh, so that's, that's, that's my kind of moment, uh, around the equine that I, that's most precious to me. It's something that I, I'll always go back to when someone asks me that kind of question. 
because nothing has ever topped that. I've spent many times sitting in the, the stables with them, and especially if a new foal was born and you're just sitting there and you're waiting for the foal to come to you, you know, so you're not pushing it at any means, you're just sitting in the corner and then, then the, you know, the foal sack comes over, he's sniffing around, he's sniffing at your face and he's doing all these things. You know, they're, they're beautiful, but it's that, the, the, the connection with the donkey was probably the most uh, moving one, the, uh, meaningful one for me at that time in my life, you know, I, I think I, I really needed it, you know. Uh, and, and he gave it to me, so I kind of... Uh, thank yeah. you. That was That's a beautiful experience, and it's really precious to share it with us um, because I know you mentioned your father was in an accident, but the knock-on effects of that um, was really, really difficult for your family, and you did you spoke mm. about it on the Tommy Tiernan interview in more depth. Yeah. If anybody wants to go on to, uh, onto that, um, it's on the player. So that was, yes, a beautiful, beautiful story. Thanks for that. Um, there's one last question. If you had that magic wand, what would you like to do for the planet? You have I the power. Re- I would replant all the trees that have been cut down. Is what Good I idea. Do. I would replant them all, and we would be happier people for it. You know, I would reduce the amount of traffic on the road. I, I think COVID, there was a lot of gifts with COVID. People were forced to stop the rat race into where we all were living our lives, in, and a lot of people got to reflect on how much time we wasted and how we were living our lives just going from A to B and deadlines here and pick up kids here and rushing here and you know uh, when all that stopped I think everyone got to breathe a little uh, and it really created a space of really are we living our best lives are we really happy with the way we're living our lives you know and a lot of people have changed that you know Uh, but also you know, if we weren't so busy, we didn't need so many cows, if we didn't need so many motorways, then we wouldn't have destroyed the land the way we did, you know. So I, that's what I would do. I would replant as many trees as possible. Like, look, I appreciate people for space needed to grow land or to farm or, you know, it is necessary because we need space, but it was greed, you know, and we didn't need 100 acres when two acres were done, you know, this kind of way. Uh, so I think we need to, I would love to give the land back to nature and to the animals that lost it all, you know, because they're the, when you see a fox, you smile. If you see a horse in the field, I like I nearly break my neck to, to keep looking at it. it, it you, you see birds singing, and, and I mean, it, they're the things that make us happy. And we need to reconnect with all that. We need to stop destroying the planet unnecessarily. Uh, a friend of mine, I've done a TED talk as well on the equine therapy and the tippy teeter. And one lady, another expert at the was giving the talk, and she created an alternative to concrete. Concrete is the second most used substance in the world outside water. And it's one of the most toxic ones that we have and it creates massive pollution. She created an alternative to concrete that is uh, user-friendly and less intrusive than actually using concrete. And I've been following her ever since, and she has now got to the stage where they're, they're mass-producing this. Uh, you know, so there is people like her around the world saying, we can do this better. It means we got to spend money to change how we make things, but we can do things better. We can recycle better. We don't have to cut down so many trees, you know, but we, we just have to say, I'm willing to go an extra mile to change the way and the routine of how we always done things to make the world better for everybody, you know. Uh, and I believe that, you know, I, I, I genuinely believe that we would all be better if we just left nature the way the nature was supposed to be, you know. Mm, yes, thank you. That's that's a lovely, lovely spell for the world. 
And thank you, Joe, for all the work you're doing from everybody from everybody that's benefited from your work. And I mean that heartfeltly. And thanks so much for being on the podcast today. Really, really fun and very inspiring for people and a lovely voice for the equines of the world. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Joe. Thank you for listening to Nature Magic. The news this week is that our lovely feral goat, Frisky, may have valuable DNA. The Old Irish Goat Rare Breed Society visited Frisky and after measuring every inch of her have decided that she probably fits the bill. Her DNA will be tested and if correct, she will be invaluable in adding diversity to the small gene pool of the breed. Frisky was rescued off the Boren Hills as a kid eight years ago when a local farmer spooked the feral herd of goats and her mother ran away just after she was born. He left the little kid on the hill until the evening in case the mother returned, but the goats can travel miles in a few minutes, hopping over the stone walls, and they were long gone. He brought Frisky into his kitchen and gave her a bottle. After a few days, he landed at the Borough Nature Sanctuary with a hairy brown and white kid goat, a bag of Frisky sheep milk powder and a baby's bottle. Frisky has been well loved at the sanctuary ever since. The old Irish goat was the only goat in Ireland until 900 years ago, having arrived 5,000 years ago in the Neolithic age and is now critically endangered and found only wandering in remote mountain locations. The Burren feral herd has been decimated in recent years as they are unpopular with farmers and gardeners and have suffered massive culling. If Frisky has Neolithic DNA, her contribution to the breed will be vital. We will keep you posted. Please subscribe to the podcast and give us a review. It really helps to spread a positive voice for nature.